0: Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Two Crickets in a Thorn Tree, the smoothest glass of cream liqueur slash amarilla, depending on legal circumstances, uh, for your mind. I'm half of your host, Nicholas Larimer, joined as ever by the other half of your hosts, Gabriel Krauser.
1: Missing a microphone, so so sorry about sound quality, but I hope it all works out.
0: Um, I don't know if you can hear my inversa buzzing away in the background, uh, but I'm load shed currently and I have a migraine. So I may be a little bit low energy today, but uh, the, call of, the call of freedom has no obstacles before it. So uh, I'm a soldier onwards. Uh, and there's been quite a lot of exciting things that have happened over the past couple of days. Um, Dude, before
1: we get into the exciting things, I just want to say, I'm very sorry. Like inside the thorn tree, that people can't see this cricket in front of me, who is so pasty. (laughs) Pale at the best of times, but positively luminescent. Uh, Well, it's not helped by the fact that... The the migraine is like (laughs) emanating out of your...
0: (laughs) It's made worse by the fact that I don't have any lights on. It's just the lights on my computer screen illuminating my face. So I look like a sort of ghost. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, but uh yeah today was pretty crazy actually i remember seeing someone posts, yeah. yeah post on our group uh that the pri- that the former prime minister and sort of political giant of the last uh couple of years in japan couple of, at least 10 years in japan Shinzo yeah. abe had been shot and then died after yeah. a few hours of trying to resuscitate him uh which so, I don't know. What, what was your impression? I mean, neither of us is an expert on Japanese sort of politics and that kind of thing. But what was the impression you got of, of, of Shinzo Abe uh, before, before his assassination today? So,
1: I thought of him as being important, very important to Japan, both domestically and in terms of foreign policy. In terms of foreign policy, very straightforward. Uh, Japan had been super pacifist forever, since since the war, since the
0: two nuclear bombs. Yeah, since dropped it away. was put in their constitution that they couldn't declare war. Yeah,
1: and uh, and he, w- I think it would be a real mistake to call him gung ho,
0: but relative to. Yeah, Everything that had come a, before him. He, right, was, he was like Rambo. Right. Um uh, he, he he was the guy who managed to get the Japanese constitution changed so that if one of their allies is attacked, they can go to their aid in a military conflict. Exactly. So before the constitution said, No, not even if your allies are attacked, you can't do anything. You have only if Japan itself is attacked. And he also did a, an enormous amount of work to kind of try and unite the um, freer countries of Asia, and also some of the less free ones against China. Uh, he was a very big part of that. Uh, but yeah, and I, you then know, domestically,
1: I, on the can I say the domestic side? Like his economics, of economics are I don't know. Sometimes it feels a little bit inscrutable. But basically, Japan's problem. I mean, Japan. Both when I was a, Japan has briefly, a
0: very weird economy.
1: And in the states it was there would always be you would have like a survey class where you learn supply and demand like aggregate demand curves uh basic principles of macroeconomics how inflation works how central fractional reserve banking works how what a marginal propensity to spend means how to make an elasticity calculation and then you would learn japan like these are all very
0: yeah, like- <laughs> It's like it's like going to a place where where gravity doesn't work. Yes, I mean they first have... you learn the laws of the universe, and then <laughs> go to Japan. I think they're the most indebted country on earth, Japan. Yes, it's
1: so the like four hundred times, times the GDP. No, three times three. four hundred percent. Sorry. Yes, <laughs> I would I would say closer to. In fact, I haven't checked in a little while, but I think three 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 times GDP roughly. I mean, the biggest bank in the world is like the Japanese Postal Service, it's called, depending on how you translate things. It. Um, so it's...
0: Sorry, I just problem. looked it up. It's 266% of GDP. So yeah, you're I was going to say 270.
1: Correct. Yes. Yeah. But I thought in, in round numbers, 300. Um, so, and it's, and by the way, it's been at 270 since uh, for a decade. Its debt levels right. have stabilized... Um, It's the reason Japan is studied separately is because it's the country that really teaches everyone about deflation, about what happens when Mm. you get to the point where the government can no longer print new money to try and stimulate the economy because its debt levels are so high. Uh, But no one's worried about its debt not being repaid because it's so stable. So you've got very high but very stable levels of debt. And then what happens is people say, Look, the, the currency is actually getting stronger. I'm able to buy more tomorrow with the same amount of money as I can today. So rather than buying today, I'll just wait to buy tomorrow. That depresses aggregate demand. Everyone postponing, it's like the weird sign of savings. Um, that if, if, if people are saving too much, uh, yeah, you can use all of those savings, leverage those savings, uh, invest them overseas and get more money back. Or Or use it domestically to build factories, but who's buying the goods? They keep deferring pleasure, and it sort of reminds me of um, some some like Taoist philosophy, some problems with schopenhauer, some problems with uh, some versions of puritanical Christianity. The idea of delayed gratification is really i think often best expressed in our culture by reference to the Grinch, or maybe not the Grinch, but the the miser, the person who ref, who just refuses to enjoy themselves because they're always delaying gratification. Uh, you know, on the one extreme, we know that kids who get a marshmallow and are told, dude, if you can just wait 15 minutes, you'll get another marshmallow, uh, are like much more likely to be um, in a good place 20 years later uh, <laughs> than the kids who can't help themselves but just eat that marshmallow. Um, so delayed gratification is usually important, but like anything, if you push it to its extreme, it really gets perverse outcomes. And that's where Japan was sitting. And, she, yeah, what did Abe have to do? I think he had to uh, kind of do a bit of the standard old basics of um, try and shrink well, the size of government.
0: <laughs> yeah, because because Japan Which has no had a lot of, an old problem with crony capitalism. And it's got – I mean – of all the world's uh, free nations, I would say it's the most conservative. Uh, yeah, and in so many senses of that word, I mean, yeah. the 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 samurai class, those families which took over in like the well, when was it? it was like the twelve hundreds or something, uh, have effectively ruled Japan until the modern day in 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 some form or another. <laughs> which is, <laughs> you know, like the guy the guy who declared war on America. Um, the minister, I think it was, I think it may have been Tojo, I can't remember, could trace a line of descent directly back to like a shogun from the 13th century or something. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also got the world's oldest royal family. The imperial family of Japan has been ruling the country since, well, they don't rule it anymore in in the, in the but direct power sense. But spiritually, they have been you know, the official who, head of state. Who does?
1: Like who, not, not, none of the youthful monarchies are ruled by direct power. They're all kind of...
0: Right, right, right. Um, since esteem? like what the six hundreds or something, you know, back when like Europe was controlled by you know the ancestors of Charlemagne. So you saying before Facebook. <laughs> Indeed. Um, it's it's such a strange place and its politics Dude, and it's also reflects got, that.
1: It's got the world oldest companies, but not yes, just like yes. one. It's got like eight out of the it's like got seventeen out of the top twenty world's oldest companies.
0: Here's here's a fun fact about, uh, you know Nintendo, the makers of Game Boy and Wii and all those other things? Uh, You know that they are older than the the fall of the Ottoman Empire. (laughs) Nintendo (laughs) was started in like 1890 or 1880 as a card-playing company.
1: Yes, they were (laughs) card-playing.
0: And they've continued on until the modern day, which is... Yeah, so it, it is a very strange place. And I just want to read you something I saw on Twitter Mm. Um, it was someone making fun of uh, NPR in the states, right? Which uh, I, I know you are a long-time admirer. Well, and-
1: which which I teased last week, and
0: ironically, this
1: week I'm 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 been hanging out with my old NPR friend, the sort of the star of NPR for many decades.
0: So <laughs> so, so so shout out! Someone <laughs> someone was making fun of the way NPR phrased a thing by comparing. uh uh, the way it described abe's legacy to fidel castro um so here's how it described fidel castro one of the most prominent international figures of the last half of the 20th century castro inspired both passionate love and hate many who later lost faith in him can remember how they once admired the man who needed just a dozen men to launch the cuban revolution and this is how they described abe Former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, a divisive arch-conservative and one of his nation's most powerful and influential figures, has died after being shot in a campaign speech.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's good unfair.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's not nice. <laughs> but I think, so, so the reason I read that out is I think that is how an awful lot of the outside world saw Shinzo Abe and also a lot of younger Japanese people. I have a friend who's, uh, I haven't talked to him for a while, but who, who's a young Japanese guy Went to school with him. Moved back to Japan after school, and uh, he was very skeptical of Shinzo Abe because, um, and I think this is a bit unfair, but Abe was literally descended from people who were arrested for like war crimes. I think his maternal grandfather was the uh, the basically the the main economic head honcho of extracting as much resources as they could from Manchuria and occupied China during the war. Mm. Um, and this has kind of dogged him his whole life, which is, I think, uh, added to the opposition that he. Whenever he's tried to kind of move Japan in a more assertive direction, I think that his family heritage probably always um, made it very easy to cast him as just some sort of apologist for the uh, the war, the war criminals of the of the Second World War. To, and to be fair, you know, Japan's right has still not entirely made peace with that. Uh, part of their history. I mean, there are still quite a few people who sort of basically think that any admi- admitting that Japan had committed any war crimes is some sort of stain on the national honor and should never be done. Yeah,
1: um, and then every, every year, there's that like war well, commemoration period where there's like confusing things about where you're allowed to go and who's allowed to go where. And some of the taboos yeah. are being broken in ways that worry people outside. But I do also worry that the outside of you, like I worry about how the camera works. I remember um, we we had a theatre professor at university who had done one bit of work on film, and he said the thing that amazed him the most was was how the camera works. And it's going to sound so obvious, but afterwards I have. Th- So like in a theater, clearly there's the stage and then there's the wings and then there's things happening behind the wings and it's sort of funny to be behind the wings because you can have a dude who's like holding the ropes to lift the curtain and drop in the scary puppet of a witch or hit the drum that sounds like thunder. And you've got people in the audience eating popcorn or sitting on their phones during rehearsals and you've got like, I was always very excited by the fact that in the dressing rooms, there'd be ladies getting dressed into outfits and as a teenager, it's a very thrilling idea, right? But on stage, you've got someone uh, declaiming Shakespeare. But oh, Tim said, it's like, wow, when you're on a film set or a TV set, it's, whoa, that camera, you know, someone can just be right next to the actor or actress uh, on their phone, on one hand, like holding the... The mic that just hangs just 10 centimeters over their head but from the camera's point of view you can't see the mic you can't see the person you can't see anything excepting for what it shows you and okay it's maybe it's a trite observation i do think it's a nice reminder because it's so easy to forget because of the camera's power um but like i often think with the kkk like if i hadn't lived in america and i hadn't come to learn a little bit more deeply how it works. I would think that there's KKK kind of everywhere because if there's, if you can find one KKK guy, you put a camera on him and then it looks like they're everywhere. Right. So like 25 human beings can look like they're, uh, they're, they're all over.
0: uh, Not least because the KKK, I think were so effective in branding themselves. I don't know if you saw a a very uh, right-wing black Republican recently doing an ad, which was <laughs> just fantastic. It was um, the KKK comes, there's like a whole bunch of KKK guys coming into his house with like bats and things, and they're obviously up to no good. And then the voiceover says something like, you know, you need a gun to protect you so that when, uh, Armed Democrats come to threaten your family. You're able to defend them, <laughs> <him. laughs> and then it—the it, scene shows him walking out onto his lawn, like with his um, AR-15, and all of the KKK members just simply flee at the sight of this armed black man. <laughs>
1: Dude, that's hilarious on many levels.
0: Not, yeah, not not adding. I think perhaps to uh, America's um, fraught political atmosphere right now, but very no. funny. <laughs> yes. yes. Yes, indeed.
1: <laughs> so okay, but so I guess I'm just suggesting that
0: that it's a bigger thing. Big I feel problem. in
1: two I feel in two minds about Japan's yeah. conservative problem. What 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 seems very clear to me is that the the, the problem of nepotism of as you've often brought up, um, you know, people kind of being married into the CEO position. Uh because you've got a family business and then you've got some daughters and like the way to get the yeah. best talent, the way to spread the talent pool is like to combine the marriage market with the CEO promotions
0: market yeah, in an Shinsu, intersection. Shinzo Abe is, is like, uh, you know, as many pieces have pointed out, he comes from a political dynasty. His, I think his his grandfather was a prime minister of Japan or, or possibly his father. I can't remember one of the two. Anyway, he's descended from this long, long line and his heritage is actually originally um, sort of, Uh, lower ranked samurai family who were Mm. originally sake brewers which is quite interesting Mm.
1: yeah man I mean I think I think that part of what's weird about this assassination is that Abenomics has played out it was touch and go for a while Japan seems I think fairly unambiguously to be in a stronger position than it was in when he came into power the deflation oh, it's, issue it's, is
0: yeah. it's got a higher birth rate i think now than china and that's it's still its birth rate is very low but this is for the japanese probably quite a relief
1: yeah a sign of a sign of a bit of exuberance coming back into the picture um deflation has been uh, uh, curtailed uh, it's sitting in a in a position kind of on monetary on the monetary scale that's been fairly indistinguishable from europe in other words, they were kind of on either sides of the number zero and and then they, and then they met one another uh just about there. Um uh GDP growth has been um has been good. Like if you know, part of its part of Japan's problem is that it just did too well. Like the world Japan was just actually in a way ahead of the rest of the world and ahead of itself certainly. Um and, it, and there was some catching up that needed to be done. And this seems to have been normalized. And so beyond just the fact that it looks like his legacy is pretty solid, like insofar as there were concerns that he's, he's making the wrong bet and it's all going to go to hell, like that has not happened. Beyond that, he's no longer in power. In fact, there have right. been two This is – we're on to the second prime minister after him. There was like an yeah, although, interim – Although he still leads
0: before the Japan's – uh, Main party, and it really is the main party in the same way that, like, the ANC has been South Africa's main party for thirty years, Uh, and that's the, um not quite, because it has it has lost power occasionally, but it's just remained this dominant block, and that's the Liberal Democratic Party of Japan, which is a sort of broad tent kind of unify of the right that was formed in the aftermath of the Second World War to basically keep the socialists out of power. Yeah, Um, and they're helped by the fact that basically the few times I think the socialists have only been in government twice. Since the end of the war, and both times has been a natural disaster. <laughs> so it feels like <laughs> Japan's a weird place, man. <laughs> hey, yeah, like the uh, one of the times the social were in power was during the, the horrible tsunami in, in 2011. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Which, which was really devastating for the country. But yeah, I, we don't know a lot about why. Abe was assassinated yet. I mean, there's been some speculation this guy was mentally disturbed. There's been some that it was some kind of like political hit by a weird lone wolf. Um, I sent you a quote here where the the Japanese yeah. news agency quoted the suspect because after this guy shot Shinzo Abe, he's also quite old. He's 41, which is not, you know, most assassins and things tend to be younger people. So that's been weird as well. But anyway, the Japanese uh, news service quoted the suspect. uh, Identified as Tetsuya Yamagami, as telling police that he was dissatisfied with Abe and wanted to kill him. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's such
1: a sad event, but that's an amazing. (laughs) That 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 is is amazing.
0: That is is Japan in a nutshell. It's like even their assassins are sort of quite (laughs) low key. (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah.
1: Like potent, but. Definitely not, not too exuberant. Not just not the most. Uh, yeah, it's 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 not it's not so, a it's not crass. It's like it no. it might be d- lethal, but it's it's not Vegas. That is the most un-Las Vegas explanation yes. for an assassination. Yes, and it it is for all you know. It's recognized and and it's got its enigma. Why? So yeah, I mean so you were saying like insofar as it can be told, the dissatisfaction is
0: is not it's not obviously party political or anything like that. My right. my first uh, guess in, was that sorry in the initial interview with the police, he he said, I was frustrated with him, but I didn't kill him because of his politics.
1: <laughs> what is going
0: on? What is yeah, going on? Yeah, which which could suggest that the guy's crazy. <laughs> Or that there's,
1: yeah. So, so I, I, I thought if it was political, it'd be likely to come from someone who, who, who liked the direction Abe was taking the country in, but thought that he wasn't taking it far enough. And sometimes there can be a, a really weird, a steamy thing where people kind of hate I, their
0: own the most. It's like, oh, like you, yes. you were
1: supposed to be on our side, but you didn't.
0: The worst thing is and, a traitor. Um, yeah. Because, cause, and, and you know, the political right is definitely where most of the energy for political assassinations has come from in Japan's history. Uh, yeah. Uh, even in the 60s, there's that very famous photograph of, I think, the leader of the Socialist Party being stabbed by a young uh, Japanese army recruit or something with a samurai sword on stage while he was giving a speech. This guy ran up yeah. and stabbed him. And that was the last, yeah. like, very big assassination. But, yeah. So, so, I wouldn't be surprised if it turns out this guy had sort of weird right wing politics. But I think this is going to traumatize Japan a fair amount. Like, Japan is 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 one of the other ways it's bizarre is it has a shockingly low murder rate. Mm. Like, Amazingly it's, it's though, like yeah. it's like number three from uh, lowest murder rate or something in the world, and yet the population is 110 million. Like, yeah. the number of murders per year, is something like 600 in a country of you know more than yeah. 100 million people. Yeah. That's insane. And yeah, like, no. we've done in a thing, week easily. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, and the other weird thing about all of this is that you know guns are very close to being banned in Japan, and yet this guy appears to have manufactured his own gun out of pipes and some sort of gunpowder that he got from know, who knows from where, maybe fireworks or something, and an electronic uh, firing mechanism. And uh, his apartment, according to the early reports. Was filled with explosives so clearly this guy was up to no good hmm.
1: I mean part of what's sad I must say when I first heard the story it's like the first thing I came across in the morning when I when I tuned in I was really bleak about it because my impression of Shinzo Abe before this was really one of the world's better um, leaders one of the free world's better leaders yeah. um, dealt a very difficult hand didn't do too much didn't risk too much But seemed to push in the right direction, uh, made some tough calls, hurt some vested interests, uh, opened up a few gaps for entrepreneurship for do-it-yourself. Also presided over a Japan that became enthusiastic about hosting a Rugby World Cup. Presided over a Japan that became enthusiastic about hosting uh, an Olympic Games. A Japan that seemed to Japan's
0: Japan's entry to rugby really warms my heart because the Japanese are such great sports fans. (laughs)
1: yeah and it's significant because because japan's great strength and its great weakness are as always the same thing in their instance it is uh an a basically unparalleled level of isolation for 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 that amount of excellence and success and talent and uh, accomplishment they're they're just like super quirkily kind of... Yeah, I mean, uh, they are
0: weirdly xenophobic still.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to be too... But yeah, I mean, there, there is... And, and, and the relaxation no. of that is essential to that country's progress. In the same way that, like, Anglican England just had to become religiously more chillaxed in order to keep a chance of, of, of uh, keeping up with the, with the best in the world japan's uh shinzoist like focus in uh stick it to you know stick to the family stick to what's known conservative familiarity oriented values basis it's not that that has to go away it's just that it somewhat has to dilute um for the countries for the good stuff to for the good stuff of those values Amongst other things, to keep being that was that was one and that was happening, and Shinzo Abe was a huge part of that because he was Uh, confident enough to face the world and bring Japan to the
0: world. The thing that caught my eye on that was when you know, Japan basically doesn't take refugees at all, ever, yeah, but they actually took some refugees from Ukraine, which, if you know. Anything about Japan and their dislike of it's immigration? Just, it's this far is far out, man. This is insane. <laughs> They've never done that before. Now, to be fair, it wasn't a lot of people, but the fact no, that but they did.
1: Like, if you look at my my understanding of, of of Japanese politics just a couple of decades ago, it was like, I mean, I even heard the joke from a from a Korean friend, um, tongue in cheek, when the Olympics. Uh, ended up being hosted kind of without a crowd because of COVID nineteen. There were quite a few people in the in the Far East who were joking. They were like, "Guys, we figured out who created the coronavirus. It was the Japanese, so that they could have a lockdown Olympic Games, so that they wouldn't have to have so many tourists." <laughs> like that. That was that was considered very witty. <laughs> because it played so, played so solidly into a very well understood uh, fact, which is that if you want to look at the number of naturalized citizens in the world, that uh, Japan is um, top of that list too. Um, I mean, I think per capita, China is actually top of the list. Uh, of course, China's got a population 10 times the size and is just right. about the most um, unfriendly to refugees uh, the, unless they're sort of Han Chinese uh, expatriates, as it were, uh, you know, bloodline connections, uh, they really don't let people in.
0: But so but, but Japan exact...
1: was relaxing, and and Shinzo Abe yeah. did so much hard
0: work. So you want to the, the exact figure of refugees? Is I think they only they signed the refugee tra- treaty in the eighties, but they only started taking them in in two thousand and ten, and they've taken in on average thirty per year, yeah. which is <laughs> not a lot. <laughs> Yeah.
1: So so I thought Shinzo Abe, uh, you know, helped the Japanese economy. He helped Japanese policy just normalize like he kind of just made it a more normal country a little bit. And it felt like it, he did that at a time when that's what it needed. And now this guy who's worked really hard and who's been really disciplined is in his twilight years which would have been quite special. I'm not saying he wasn't politically active. Obviously, he was shot during a campaign speech. But he he didn't have the same kind of daily duties. Yeah, yeah, he said. Mm. He didn't have the same kind of daily duties. Mm. And so would have had a special opportunity to to get some more family time, to get some more soft-touch kind of me time. You know, something that seemed... um, I don't know. That always seems to be like, I don't know. Some politicians, I, 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 I thought it was great that he might have like a continue to ease his way into a lack of retirement. And, and my first thought was like, what a, what a, what a sad thing for him and his family to be deprived of a little bit of you know, like a little bit of the, the 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 cherry blossom tree that's, like, done its hard work and gotten through a hard winter. Mm. Now the blooms are there, and now the sun is setting. And it's actually the most beautiful time of the day uh, before the long forever night. And it, and and then someone takes a chainsaw and chops it down. I was pretty gloomy about this um, at an I, empathetic I, level I, I in agree. a way that I haven't felt about a leader for a while, which is odd because mm. I... I mean, having... I did sort of. Uh, I, I feel no more, no more about it five years ago than I do. now. But never, uh, never knew anything also, um, like uh, a personal detail um, yeah. about him, about his preferences, what movies he likes, what clothes he likes to wear, excepting for suits when he's doing business. You know, it's like he's not like it's
0: not like George Bush, where you know the paintings that he paints, or or the beers that he has, or the there's alcohol problem from when he was younger and all these other things yeah
1: all of these other guys like boris johnson who i suppose we better get to in a minute like there's so many there's so, angela merkel there's so many world leaders where one feels like one knows the personality a little bit him i didn't i just uh, hmm. maybe that's what attracted me to him in a world where politicians uh you know are always going to be disappointing right he was um, in many ways
0: he was kind of, of a stereotypical course. japanese politician you know,
1: glass wall. Pretty, you can't. Yeah,
0: but you can't see through it. It's glass, but you can't see through it. <laughs> right. I uh, hear. Uh, I think the one thing he did struggle in, though, is you know, Japan needs South Korea for its sort of political, geopolitical positioning. Yeah. And like Japan, America has and Canada. Is, they're right, very America, right. Canada, right? But Japan has, has, has struggled. Although they're they're more closely equal uh, than than America and Canada. I mean, like. Korea's yeah. population is like something like half of Japan's or something like that. Anyway, I'm sympathetic so to Canada. You know, half of America, <laughs> you
1: can pick a half. America's yes. two countries. You can pick a half and say that half's not really any good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this issue, um, it's a legacy issue from the Second World War of the so called comfort woman, um, where the Japanese army basically forcibly recruited Korean women into being prostitutes for the Japanese yeah. army during the second world war. And it's been very contentious because essentially the Koreans want an apology and uh, reparations and Japan and it's right. In particular is kind of like, I think there have been some efforts made to mend that, but there's clearly disagreement over, uh, you know, when enough is enough yeah, uh, or, or how good the apology should, should be like, uh, yeah. and, 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 you know, tensions got pretty bad between. I think before the right won the election in Korea, um, tensions were probably pretty high between the two countries in recent years. Um, from this issue, but also from you know, they have a no, historically this, bad. Relationship. This issue
1: as a pinch point, yeah. Japan colonized Korea, right? This is
0: time. this is one of the weird that things. Is, not is, a you know, nice colonization. No, uh, it was it was a you know Japan ran a colonial enterprise just across the sea on their next door neighbor. It's like if, I don't know, France colonized Belgium or something.
1: <laughs> but well, no, dude, the... I, a lot like, I mean,
0: again, to the Johnson issue, it was a, I think
1: a lot like UK Ireland, like England, Ireland. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. That's actually exactly what it was. And South Korea's rise really is like, South Korea and Ireland are, are I, you know, I think have the record, share the record for kind of the fastest um, GDP per capita growth. Whereas yeah, Japan sort of, and China have, you know, China has the largest absolute terms GDP growth in yes. a in a decade or two, um, and Japan has the certainly had the largest in the second half of the twentieth century.
0: Yeah, I think um, before we move on, the, the two things I want to say one is that I think he'll be Abe will be missed most strongly by Taiwan because he really built the yeah, taiwanese he, Japanese relationship. Yeah, uh, and secondly. One of the good things about Shinzo Abe is he kept alive that great Japanese tradition of resigning when it was time for you to go. Uh, his yeah. party got smacked in an election, and then uh, he stepped down, and so he remained leader of the party, but he let these other prime ministers come in precisely because he said, "You know, public's lost confidence in me." Um,
1: not, but it wasn't. It was a by-election, <laughs> right? It, it was a, It was not the no. national election.
0: I, I think it was a national election Why? because his party had to go into coalition with another one of the smaller right-wing parties. Uh-huh. But, it's, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. but anyway, uh, that is in contrast to uh, a certain other politician who I think we should probably move to now. This is my yes. segue. Who had a bunch of bad election results in by-elections um, and had a bunch of resignations and looked for a moment like he tried, might try to soldier on, uh, but ultimately has been defeated. And that is, of course, Boris Johnson.
1: Dude, he did not... No, 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 no. This is the worst way to introduce him. Boris Johnson <laughs> did not look for a moment like mm-hmm. he was going to soldier on. Boris Johnson has looked for an era like he was going to soldier on. The The writing, as it were, has been on the wall for... Uh, when was the first no-confidence vote?
0: Even before then, because... No, when was the personal no like, confidence vote? Was that I, can't, like I can't remember. Before the plague? So he... Yeah, so he... Uh, there was a point where, you know, Boris, Boris had this crushing election result against Jeremy Corbyn's Labour. And he rode quite a high point of, I think, popularity for a long time. And then at some point during the pandemic, he got... And I actually remember talking about it on Two Crickets a while ago, how there was just this kind of drip drip of corruption and scandal and thing you know things going wrong here or there i don't know i uh, don't know about corruption but yeah definitely scandal there there was there was there was one of corruption not related to him but relating to the tories um yeah there was one and,
1: we talked and that is
0: yeah and for britain that's weird though um And then, you know, he had all these sort of, like, personal scandals coming out. And then there was this general picture that he was incompetent. And then he also moved quite far towards green energy, which isolated a lot of the right of his party. And he went from being, like, sort of this all-conquering hero to pretty unpopular. Uh, And I think the thing that finally finished him off was that poll that came out, what was it, last week or the week before, where... Something like two thirds of the country wanted him to resign, and that included majorities of the Tory party and the leave vote <laughs> for, for brexit, which are you know his 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 political constituencies uh, and then he had this mass resignation of cabinet ministers and people who worked for him all over the place and an education secretary who he appointed to replace the cabinet minister who had just resigned, then resigned within 36 hours. <laughs> so uh, in the end, he... Dude, you're butchering this. A- you're stealing all the drama from this. It's the most dramatic Okay, okay. Anything. No, no. no he us,
1: he has another way, way to tell the story. Question. So Boris Johnson, uh, who I've always liked and continue to like because he's got away with words, was ultimately undone by a fabulous line of his own doing. So there's this guy Christopher Pincher, Chris Pincher whatever his first name is, who uh, was undoubtedly the straw that broke the camel's back, uh, who uh, had credible allegations against him of sexual misconduct and Boris Johnson was aware of this but nevertheless hired him or allowed him in to the to the gents club for power politics. And it was a while ago and the thing that happens is Boris Johnson says Years after that, just earlier this week, he says, "Okay, I admit it. I'm sorry. I did know. And I'm very sorry. I shouldn't have done it. I made a mistake. And immediately after that, uh, his number two, the chancellor in number 11 Downing Street resigns. And so does the health minister. And uh, and this is clearly the end. Uh, But this is the line. What was the line that they caught Boris Johnson having said about Mr. Pincher? Pincher by name, pincher by nature. Oh no, and that was the line, dude. You want to know what killed Boris Johnson? It's the fact that well, not only did he let this guy in, he made a joke out of it. He was like, Ah, you know, you can hardly blame the fellow for pinching ladies' bottoms. He's pincher by name, pincher by nature. And then the next most dramatic part is that. The the person that he calls in to take the new number two position uh, comes along and writes a letter 16 hours later, which says, for the last 16 hours, I've been wildly criticized and denounced around the country for opportunistically stepping in and trying to take advantage of chaos. Let me tell you two things. Firstly, there is a war in Ukraine, there's a food crisis, uh, cost of living crisis, there's all kinds of nightmares, and we need continuity in this country. And I did not want to leave the Chancellor of the Exchequer position open for any moment at all. I was very happy to relieve the vacancy and uh, continue uh, good governance in Britain. And secondly, the first thing that I did was say, thank you so much for the job, Boris. Uh, I suggest you
0: resign. <laughs> yes. Uh, <clears throat> not, a, yeah, not, not a sign. So, not to you. But, uh, you know, in a lot and, of ways, this kind of did begin. And with that's the, when. The, that's when it was clear scandal. that was it. Because that was yes. when Boris stopped having good news cycles. So he, got, he gets accused of of, um, of basically breaking the strict COVID lockdown rules to, to have a little get-together or something with the staff at yeah. uh, Darling Street and there may have been a cake or something. You can say
1: of, that's where it starts, but you can go back before. I, and I agree that after that, he struggled to bring he, it back. Yeah, but he just never really that, has a good
0: week after that.
1: <laughs> but before that, it starts with um uh not Gove, not Rob. Who was the funny cocaine one that he like his That's Gove. Gove. Didn't he get rid of no. Gove and then Gov had to come back? There was a the fallout between Gove Boris Johnson's now. girl. No, okay. Who's the girl? The the one that had the fight with the girlfriend. <laughs> <I can't remember. laughs> Dude,
0: his pollster his like number one pollster, like Oh, was like. A... Oh, uh, uh, what's his name? I know who you're talking about. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I I feel like it's Dominic.
1: But it's not Dominic know.
0: Rob. Dominic Dominic is Dominic Rob. I can't believe I've forgotten his name. Anyway, I know exactly. I know
1: who about. we used to know all of this stuff, but we've kind of left behind UK politics because uh, because we don't hang out as much. Yeah the one
0: <laughs> the one who the one who um. Labour kind of talked about as being the sort of dark lord behind the throne during the election. Exactly. Yeah.
1: They were like, this is this is the UK's Steve Bannon and Boris Johnson is the UK's Donald Trump. Anyway, I I I think that you, in briefly dealing with this story on the Daily Friend uh, yesterday, in, it was such a great grace note, Nick, uh, when you said, you know, we, we didn't have time to get into this at all. So all that Nicholas said was, um, you know, uh, uh, Boris Johnson's been the first prime minister in a long time who could quote directly from the Iliad, um, and it might be a while before we have another one like that. But I hope it's—I uh, hope it's not too long. And I think that that's a point well made. Uh, I, yeah, Boris, his Boris his was... debate with Mary Beard <laughs> continues to stand out as such a charming moment in UK history that you could have. These two very important social figures get on a stage and tongue-in-cheek, but also quite seriously uh, sort of ding dingbat each other with words for two hours, but whether ancient Greece or ancient Rome is more awesome. Uh, so it's it's have,
0: great. It's wonderful. I have I have this very sort of, you know, mixed view on him in the sense that I am pretty fond of him, like as a character on the political stage. I thought that he did some very good things. I was very happy with how he got Brexit done, in the end, you know, finally breaking that awful stalemate that was going on forever. Um, I was very. And can happy I just can I just quickly pass something for people? So,
1: because I agree with you on that, I think that there's two different Brexit issues. The one issue is the campaign for Brexit, and and Remainers in particular, and I think that they do have some good points to make here. Uh, I think common cause is that without Boris Johnson, Brexit probably doesn't happen. His his role in that campaign is super important. Former London yeah. mayor, he's a really uh, charming character. The fact that he goes for Brexit certainly causes a bit of a swing, and it's just a bit of a swing that ends up winning it. So you can kind of blame Brexit on him, and you can rope him into the rest of the campaign, which included the buses saying how much money spent by the NHI, not on the NHI through the UK. How much are you going to get back? Not the correct number. I know, I know. NHS,
0: but not our, not our. Lovely. It's another
1: guy. country. You can't blame me for confusing it. So <laughs> right. Very good. No, it's okay. the same You idea, don't even have, but <laughs> roughly,
0: <laughs> sort
1: of. Okay, but but it's a very, but that is a different thing to what you're talking about, which is how after Theresa May, Boris Johnson right. comes in and executes. On the vote that's already taken place, on the triggering of Article Twenty Five or whatever it was, all of these things kind of feel rearview mirror now. Um, I was, of course, very sympathetic to Theresa May more than you, because I and thought I know you that were the
0: she was foremost defender of for an office.
1: Yes, I thought that she was laying the groundwork uh, for the next person to come in and finish the job. I thought it was necessary for a Remainer. Um, to try and manage the negotiations in the most common, in the most convivial possible, common sense kind of way, uh, and then that failed because the, there was too much on both extremes uh, uh, detracting from the, the the middle way forward. And then Boris Johnson stood up and and took the, the more hardcore Brexit route. And right. at, at that stage, uh, I think I think did it well. I, I'm just trying to say, I agree with you on that, but I'm, I'm trying to sort of focus the that point. It really was the first uh, mandate of his premiership. And I and I, uh, and he, and he that, did as well that, as he possibly could have, as anyone could have. I can't imagine anyone no.
0: doing better. Yeah, it was a difficult situation. He did pretty well. And I thought that Jeremy Corbyn was a profound threat to the UK. I think that he was a malevolent and evil figure who basically would have Done very nasty things to the country. I was shocked when in that election against Theresa May he did so well. Uh, he still you know, didn't come to power, but he did quite well. And then... Right, Boris I really made... liked
1: Theresa May, but she was not charismatic. <clears throat> yeah. Actually,
0: um, and and a, when the
1: Conservatives good. needed to get votes to keep out Corbyn, Boris Johnson was able to... Yeah.
0: Yeah, and he, he, he sort of for the first time broke into that you know, since basically democracy in the UK, he broke Labour's stronghold on some of those Northern seats. Yeah. Um, uh, which is
1: exciting. Know, either either which way, it's exciting to see people right. change. Like,
0: who knows if that's going to continue? Um yeah. you know, changes like this can take a long time of swinging back and forth. But uh, once he did that, Labour then also became much more responsible, and they elected someone who was vastly superior to Corbyn, that being Keir Starmer, uh, who, you know, I probably wouldn't vote for him if I was a Brit, but I could certainly live with him as as Prime Minister. Uh, which <laughs> is a massive upgrade from yeah. from uh, from Jeremy Corbyn, uh, and yeah. So for those two reasons, I'm very sympathetic towards him. Uh, even though he's done things, you know, he's kind of played, I think, a little bit fast and loose with spending. Did you I just say his...
1: for those reasons I'm sympathetic to Jeremy Corbyn?
0: No, 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 no. to Boris, to Boris, to Boris. <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn is that kind of.
1: I might have, I might have uh, misheard you, or you might have just uh, that that
0: uh, awful that awful stereotype was the sort of out of touch sandal wearing activist lefty haunts. Dude, I don't think he's evil. In Britain.
1: I, dude, he's great. <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn really Corbin. is a Corbyn <laughs> is a professor who he. I think he'd be an excellent professor. J-
0: Jeremy Corbyn is very good at blocking things off.
1: <laughs> the, the the cordon of Jeremy. He was just he was just a professor who got lost in politics and and it's and and that's worse than a politician who gets lost in academia.
0: Um, but that's who knows? <laughs> um, anyway, so so those reasons. But then you know he 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 went a bit spendy. Sp- he, he spent I thought a little bit too much. He uh, he he really aggressively pursued this net zero carbon emissions thing as well huge green um, move yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and this was a this was what really isolated him from the right of his party because you know he's saying things like i think there will be basically no petrol cars in britain by the sort of 2035 something like that Somewhere. i can't remember the exact the exact details of it but you know pretty hardcore stuff uh which <laughs> i'm not you know I just don't think is very realistic or very helpful, and has certainly contributed to the cost of living crisis in the UK now. Uh, so, also, also this kind of sort of bumbling scandal thing is—I—I I, I could probably, if I was a Brit, put up with it, but it doesn't exactly make me. I mean. The breaking your own COVID policies rules, I mean, you can argue whether those rules were necessary or not, or whether they're being overly strictly enforced and all that. But really, if you're in charge, <laughs> you can't break your own rules. <laughs> I mean, you know, Gavin okay, Newsom... Okay,
1: wait, I want we, to disambiguate here. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So you're saying two things. I, so I kind of disagree with both of these things. So the one thing is, but, I, but tentatively... So, dude, on the green energy thing, I think it's confusing. I, there is clearly Elon Musk is the world's richest person, and a significant portion of that is as a result of his big green bet.
0: Is is he still the richest? Because didn't Tesla's stock stack? Uh, they're, they're. He's what? All... Look, he's either first or second.
1: My point is that profit can be made. Clearly, green can be profitable. Now, of course, you can take a step back and say that um, insofar as those things are profitable, there's a lot of government subsidies there. Here's the the deeper economic argument. The, there is a term super economic profit, and that is distinguished from the term profit. So when the supply and the demand curves intersect, in other words, when you're in the stable zone that you tend to be in when you go to the grocery store, the business is making a bit of a profit, but it's like it's 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 nothing that's going to change the game, right? If you own Shoprite or Checkers or Woolworths or this or that, you you're you own it and and you're doing really well, but you're not going to be able to make the kind of money that's necessary to like go from you're not in the universe of south korea in the anywhere in the last 40 years or japan between 1955 and 1985 you know you're in like a you're in a standard banana universe is what we used to call it in, in university it's just a standard banana you know i'm not saying it's bad it's great but it's like standard banana super economic profit occurs when there is some kind of dislocation between the supply and the demand curve and so usually the guys who really make the big bucks uh enjoy, you know, as Peter Thiel wants to say, they enjoy some kind of monopoly power because they are first movers. And because they find themselves in the position where everyone else ends up joining the game that they've already started to play. And this is just another. Okay, I'm just being like, these are all fancy ways of saying. The person who times it right, when there's going to be a big technological shift, the person who times it right is going to surf the wave. Surfing the wave means you've got to be ahead of the mass bulk of the wave. You can't be in the middle <laughs> as, as the average. If we you're in the middle of the average, dollar, dollar. you just go up so, and down. It's standard banana. <clears> if you're behind, so, you get dragged along. If you're just ahead so what of the you're wave, really saying so is the that green... you,
0: think, you think that Boris was kind of trying to do that, to try and ride the wave and make sure that... Uh, he
1: was try- he was anticipate his bet was and it's going what i'm trying to say about this is we have to have this conversation again in 10 years i would say 10 years we're going to know if he was right in 10 years time there's going to be so many there's going to be so much more consumer demand whether the consumers are international governments in europe because of uh, political reasons or in the Middle East because of convenience reasons or in the Far far East because of, sorry, convenience reasons. You know, in the Far East where you have massively dense populations with huge economic growth, the reason to go green is is not because of global warming. It's just because the more you can reduce pollution, the better it is to be able to see the sun in Beijing.
0: With the looming Israeli-Iran war, that is very much simmering at the moment. Um, that was oil the might not factor. be a third factor, right? Might yes. not be a fun thing to 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 bet on in the in the sort of medium term.
1: What you're really saying, so so so, if you combine the reasons, stability, because the supply chains are always going to be more dynamic once the thing gets going, uh, for green energy, because you, you're not going after a particular resource you're going off to technology and the basic goods that you need to manufacture in order to get to the point where you've got something like a windmill or a solar panel or whatever. So, I mean, there are some essential raw earth minerals, but uh, those are a little bit more diversely dispersed than oil. So either because of war stability or because of green politics or because of, and this is essential to the basic economic understanding of how all technology technologies work and all supply chains work economies of scale because you might just read that tipping point where some of these uh, green energy solutions really are cost effective they are clearly more cost effective in some niche situations but where they become quite widely scaled more cost effective than the alternatives you sit in a position where if you were the first country to make a big move like johnson has tried then you are the guys who are making all of the money. Because in 10 years time, you will see if what has happened effectively is that the, the guys making green cars and the background conditions for green factories and all of this kind of stuff are exporting their stuff around the world because everyone is trying to catch up. And that means they're implementing it locally, but the cheapest place to get the parts that they need to implement it. Uh, are coming from abroad, and the UK is sitting in that cushy position. So, I'm I'm not saying this. Uh, I'm saying this because I do think the 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 sort of the Tory blue like uh, don't tell me about hugging trees and kissing bunnies on <laughs> the nose and being cuddly. Tell me about economic sustainability. Tell me about right. about pounds and cents. Like I think that those guys. Um, I have there's no doubt in my mind that some of them are so ideologically against green energy that they overlook the potential economic benefits from his bet. I'm not at all saying that his bet is going to pay off, but I think there's a good right. analogy in South Africa where Andre de Reyes' argument, for example, for green energy in South Africa is very pragmatic. It's like, dude, right. we can't borrow cheaply. Because we are a useless country that has blown its debt into double junk status, the only way that you can add manufacturing capacity to the energy grid is to borrow in order to pay for it, and the only and the way, way to borrow is to go money, green, right? For green, no, so, no fair
0: enough. Green. You know, so there is money reason arguments to go. Green. So, so that's the first thing. So my my understanding of how the debate also went is that initially, you know, because the the, the one green energy I'm super keen on is, is nuclear, right? And we're initially both. and
1: by the way, holla holla, the EU just declared nuclear energy green. Oh wow. this week. This week. A... Like I don't want to say know, thank welcome... you to the war in Russia, but there are silver linings. Yeah, the welcome, war welcome to the real and world, and this EU. But it anyway, is a huge one. <laughs> this is huge, dude. This is yeah, one of the no, biggest very... stories
0: in the world. No, that's that's very good. I didn't realize that actually moved that. I knew they were moving in that direction. I didn't realize that made the leap. Um, so my understanding of how this, the, the sort of energy policy in Britain was, is that Johnson in the beginning of this year, even just a few months ago, basically came on board in a big way for nuclear, um, which got him attacked before promoting something that was quote too expensive, uh, <laughs> by some people, but that initially he, he, he didn't, he, he really wasn't as big on the nuclear, um, part of the mix as, as, uh. As he was on some of the other green stuff so that that also makes me a little bit you know like i said i think he came around to the right position in the end and part of that was probably because of the wall but still um it (laughs) that that initially didn't make me super pleased with him
1: right i mean anyone anyone in his position who's not making fun of angela merkel for being an actual phd in the hard sciences uh, is letting the team down. I yeah. agree. But then, you know, you also have to say the same. Like, Angela Merkel is even worse than Boris Johnson. And so is everybody else. I mean, who was...
0: Anyway, the whole EU. Look, dude, you don't have to convince French, me that, that the EU are... are... Oh, yeah, well, the French have different problems. <laughs> the the energy, French are the
1: best. best when it comes energy. to
0: energy, the French are the
1: best in the world. That's true. Yeah. So, you know, it's a complicated world. Okay. So, I've said my piece in defense of Boris Johnson uh, with the green energy stuff, I'm please. I'm just going to say it a third time, and it's the last time. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying it's interesting right. bet, and let's see how the world looks in ten years.
0: No, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair it's enough. Um, I guess. I guess scandals. I'm just skeptical that the bet would have paid off, which is one of the reasons why I'm hard on it.
1: Well, it's time. it's been made, and I don't think it's going to be unmade. So let's see how it goes. Unless it gets yeah, made, no, but I don't we, think it's going to be unmade.
0: You, you are correct. We will. We will learn uh, very soon. Uh, not very. Well,
1: it's going to take. It's going to take relatively. Remember, yeah. Gabriel, um, I'm,
0: a, I'm a historian. I, well, Ten years is very soon for me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: your migraine, we're going to learn after your migraines, over, but before the next uh, sort of nuclear winter. Like, yes, it's going to, ho- hopefully. <laughs> okay, so in terms, of the, in terms of the scandals that the party gate I have made this point before, so I won't belabor it this time. What strikes me is that the UK was extraordinary. The UK was extraordinary for debating its way through COVID-19, just hmm. as it debated its way through the Brexit situation. I found it frustrating, but more than that, I really did find it cathartic and stimulating intellectually not just emotionally not just theatrically intellectually i agree to tune like into if you their com- parliamentary debates and i you think they went the from big-
0: wrong to right,
1: right. they you went compare- from you-
0: stupid to smart you-, you compare the two big uh, anglo countries america and the uk and how america the whole debate just became a I- sort of like dumber and toxic, dumber yeah toxic drip everyone was either you know, a part of a global conspiracy to sterilize the world, or alternatively, um, you know, this is all an attempt to murder as many people as many people of color as possible. It was like how how stupid the debate in America went where yeah. the left was like, Yeah, you don't you don't fully agree with masks, you just want poor people to die, particularly black people. And the other side was like, If you wear a mask, you're an unmasculine coward who should be thrown from a plane. You're a
1: P U S S Y. I mean, that was the first <laughs> riot the Mar- <laughs> riot. riots, like, uh, right from the beginning. I mean, I just want It's like it didn't. It didn't get there. It started there, and it just. And it eventually, it got to the January sixth. You know, it was. Okay. Look, I think that um, that the that the the, the Brits uh, were very quick at
0: manufacturing. Uh,
1: you know Johnson Johnson gets to claim some wins in terms of vaccination. Right, their plan. vaccination
0: program was like the first big one off the ground, wasn't
1: it? Yeah. yeah, and and they were the first to declare Freedom Day. Johnson's administration pushed hard in twenty twenty one in in all uh, like the just about the middle of twenty twenty one, saying, "Okay, we're done with this." pretty much you know eight, as many people have been vaccinated as realistically are oh, going to get vaccinated there'll be a, be a few more but no, we're no more lockdowns at all no regulations at all it was a big bold move and i think that it had a very important effect on other countries it was clear to me that a few weeks after that denmark then completely yeah. opened up it was clear to me that after that the yeah, netherlands i, I, think, I and, think that's you know, a really sweden, interesting sweden was always an outlier Right. And and the Far East countries who played it much better, even than Sweden, and in terms of uh, liberal, voluntary, do your own thingness, were just ignored in the white world, unfortunately,
0: almost entirely. I think um, I think I think that's that's one of the really but the interesting UK things. The UK shifted actually, in a good way. Yeah. yeah. About the UK during COVID is that it punched so far above its weight in terms of dictating sort of global huh. uh, COVID.
1: Response. In South Africa, what hmm. country was compared to? our response more than the no country we kept our pundits kept comparing us to the uk for the better and for the worse and i think that and i think that their that their sober-minded approach helped australians who were in a very island strange lockdown kind of quite harsh (laughs) you know i think it helped uh, connect I, i really think that boris johnson in terms of the rules of the game I think that the world should be looking back on 2 years and and I think everybody should be seriously open to reconsidering what they thought earlier to reflecting, retrospecting and to understanding those important distinctions between what did one get right at the time by luck, what did one get wrong at the time by bad luck, you know, you on this evidence it just seemed like it was the right idea but it turns out it was the wrong idea but it wasn't contemptible. Because it was just that, like, what was clearly wrong and knowably wrong, but ignored because of panic? What was clearly wrong and knowably wrong, but ignored because of deliberate manipulation? Like, there are very difficult and important political questions that have to be answered. And, And in a way, I have tended, like most other people, to try and justify looking back on the mistakes and the successes of the plague era in order to justify the thought that, we must do better next time, but I'm kind of sick of that justification, that's true, let's take that for granted, we should also figure that out, because the same, although coronavirus is uh, not the same ingredient, all of the other ingredients are the same, when you look at any other question, because the ingredients are, how Do politicians respond to new threats? How do citizens respond to politicians? How do institutions of civil society, how do institutions of the civil service, that is bureaucracies, how do they respond to one another? How do experts and laymen or laypersons respond to each other? There are are a series of political relationships that have been stress-tested that have been found profoundly wanting and those relationships perpetuate regardless of whether the next respiratory virus occurs in 10 years time or in a hundred years time, there will be other kinds of threats and the biggest threat on the planet to human beings continues to be other human beings. Uh, we have to figure it out. We have to continue to a figure trend, it
0: out. A trend that has existed since <laughs> the very earliest days of humanity when uh, I think either the highest or second highest cause of death amongst hunter-gatherers was violence by other human beings.
1: Yeah, it's really been a long time since any other species. Like, there are rare exceptions. Bubonic plague, like COVID. No, I don't I don't believe COVID's killing us as much as our own bad choices or ever did, you know? And, and COVID killed a whole lot of people. It's just like our own choices are really, really a problem and we need to keep thinking about them. And I feel like I am belaboring this point, even though I promised I wouldn't. I just feel like this is such a sad and predictable um, way to dodge the difficult conversations. The United Kingdom is sitting in a position where it changed its mind. And so it needs to figure out which part of it was originally wrong, which part of it might be wrong now. I don't think much. I think the Freedom Day thing, stick with it. Not all of the original lockdown Down stuff was wrong. I, I don't want to say that either. That's why you've got to figure out which bits are wrong. You've got to figure out which bits are right. You've got to try and be serious about that. And it's just so unserious. There's something about the line, stick to your own rules. Nick, you said it, and I've said it before. Like I I find it very easy to say about our own politicians, but I feel a little bit embarrassed because I think to myself, like isn't it just the case that there are some criticisms that are so easy to make that maybe the easiness of making them is a clue that they are that they're not as substantial as they're trying to be? Like isn't it more important if someone is breaking the rules? Like if your friends, if your friends come and tell you that they have broken the law. Do you judge them according to whether they've broken the law or do you kind of think a little bit about whether that's a good law or a bad law.
0: Well, look, <clears throat> I, do, I do see your point here. And to a certain extent, I agree with you. But I do think that it is different when you're, you know, the, or the way that your analogy here doesn't work is that my friend is just an ordinary bloke and Boris Johnson is supposed to be leading the nation through, uh, and his credibility is an important part of that message. And, you know. But did, who makes see- the laws? Parliament, him. We make, make the laws. Like citizens make the laws. Yeah, and sort of like,
1: dude. I really let me try. Let me try this out on you. I I feel profoundly frustrated and profoundly liberated by being a South African by living in a country with some of the world. Dude, I really believe we had the world's stupidest lockdown. And thank sweet baby Allah, Buddha, Jesus, Yahweh, offend all the religions by name. Dude, we'll celebrate them all. I'm so glad South Africans don't respect the law that much because <laughs> the only thing that stopped it from being worse is that we break the law. But at the same time I'm so frustrated because if just a little bit of the energy that we put into breaking the law could be put into changing the law we would be so much better off. We and, and it is it's I believe our mistake is his mistake, right? It's like and I believe ultimately that it's it's that it's a mistake that everyone must make because the alternative of perfectly fastidiously always sticking to the law unless you think it's wrong and then uh and if you think it's wrong you stick to it but you spend all of your energy trying to change it like doesn't it just doesn't it just seem like there is a human isn't there room for humanity in politics isn't there room for the thought that like It's a problem to be in a country where everyone is comfortable with breaking the law um, because the laws are clearly so stupid. That's a problem. You need people to be more fastidious, more respectful of the law, more like anal retentive. You you need some of that like Japanese stiff spine stuff. But also on the other hand, there is such a thing as too much fastidiousness. There's such a thing as too much like stick up your bum, like just... Like tin soldiers marching around like uh, I don't know oh, yeah, am, look, I, look. am I crazy no,
0: no, no. That, I, that, I... There's
1: a, that it's crazy to lose the important COVID conversation to something about whether a guy had a glass of wine for half an hour on his balcony so, in his office so
0: so I here's the thing I agree in a sense that the, the scandal was so sort of overblown right you know, here he had broken some rules, and he was being asked to resign as prime minister. He was being called like basically the worst thing to happen to Britain in a thousand years. I mean, Labour was really did not pull punches on their in their attacks on him. They did call a vote of no confidence, as you mentioned earlier, and that was just and, silly. yeah from the beginning. Some Conservatives voted with him, right? And that was that was silly, right? Because it's like it's clearly not that big of a deal. It's, but i do still think that as a person in in that office one does have a different set of rules and fastidiousness is what you should 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 follow if you're in that position i think for an ordinary person in in a place that's very rules following like the uk like you say it's it's completely acceptable to sometimes you know bend the uh, so I, my uncle recently moved to the uk right and he came back to visit us and he said you know what I miss about South Africa is the flexibility, because mm. the Brists are not flexible; <laughs> they just follow the rules like robots, and get very aggressive about anyone who doesn't follow the rules exactly the same. And yeah, your sort of broader philosophical point about how there needs to be a space for 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 bucking the rules a bit, bending things here and there, is totally you know we, we and high school is a great example of that. Uh, when I was in high school, I did everything I could to get out of watching rugby games that were compulsory, uh, and I think that that was good for me because <laughs> it took yeah. me out of pain. My dad, when he was conscripted into the apartheid army, did everything he could to sort of be as terrible as a soldier as possible. Yeah, I know it's a little bit more of a stream example, right? Because you know, yeah, like,
1: no, but a, dude, it, part that part. is the point. So, there are, there are, there isn't, there is a lot to do. De- Distinguish the two, but there is something in common between just a kid who's like, Yeah, I don't feel like pulling up my socks. So I'll pull up my socks when the prefect goes by and then when he's gone past, I push them down again. Like that little rebelliousness. Society requires just a little bit of rebelliousness, a little bit of hypocrisy. Right.
0: I I think that so like uh, I say, completely with you on that one. I just don't think that the leader must do it. And if you don't want to be if you don't want to do that, then don't be the leader.
1: So I sort of agree with that. I and I do think that the grand charm of Boris Johnson was that he was, in my opinion, elected and popular in the first place, precisely because they were like, you know what? We need a different kind of leader. We need a leader who doesn't tuck in his shirt, a leader who's clearly not going yes. to hide the fact that he's a human being, who's and a flawed, bit and inconsistent, <laughs> and, and it's clearly not affairs. sticking to the rules, <laughs> and has clearly been caught lying, has been caught with his pants between someone else's legs. Like... This is just who we're dealing with, and you know what? Like, we need a bit of humanity back in back in the field, because in politics we're stuck with like either electing uh, well, a group decided like of, automatons yeah, it was, it... like Mitt Romney, whatever the British equivalent is, or real hardcore like lizard brain liars who <laughs> are so good at presenting themselves as the Virgin Mary uh, in the spotlight and then are just like the dirty dirtiest like. Uh, power. He, he, was, he
0: was kind of the opposite of Theresa May and David Cameron oh, in that sense, oh. right? Because yeah. both of them were very, very sort of buttoned down and like tucked responsible and, and tucked wow. in. Yeah, I, like, like I say, I, I'm sympathetic to your points. I just don't fully agree with them.
1: Yeah, yeah. So okay. Anyway, so he's gone. I think that I thought he was great for his time. I think that it would have been. I I was I thought Theresa May was the best because. I think she took a job where, in her heart of hearts, I mean, I think of a very intelligent person. And I think it is clear to me, and sitting at my distance, what the hell do I know? But it is clear to me exactly, <laughs> almost exactly how long she'd be there and almost exactly what she would do. And that's what happened. And so I bet that it was pretty clear to her too. And it's not a very handsome prospect to have a short-term premiership in yeah, which she was, your great she was playing
0: to... Prime Minister on hard mode,
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think that Boris Johnson uh, sort of thought that he might have it on easy mode, but like the plague, really between the plague and how consistently difficult dealing with the Scottish nationalists, the Irish nationalists on the south in the Republican side, the uh, Europeans, the international opinion on the border, like so many things just did not prove i think more intransigent than maybe a, a gregarious and hopeful person might have expected uh that easy mode no medium mode yes add the plague to that it goes from medium mode to hard mode and and he has been taken out ultimately i think by the fact that he's just he's got too much this i think that his ultimate weakness was that people do not like anybody to have that much? It reminds me of when I was in primary <laughs> school and there was the guy who was the head boy he was like he was good looking, not the not pretty or anything just like good looking dude girls liked him, he was the rugby captain, he was the duck scholar, he was the head boy like on all of the basic. Uh, categories. He was, he was, he was doing super duper well, and that can work only if you are in a very confident society. Otherwise, there's too much niggly, nasty little zippers, zip, 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 zippers, And Boris Johnson, out of all of the world leaders you can think of, that that are definite. I mean, he's clearly intelligent. There's no doubt about that.
0: Can, can I read you? Uh, He's also clearly
1: been successful according to his own measures. He's also clearly what other world leaders had as much fun as Boris Johnson. (laughs) I think he was taken out because people are like, dude, if you want that much power, you want that much wealth, you want that much fame, You can't also have fun. And your problem is not that you broke the rules. (laughs) Ultimately, your problem is that it's not that I'm trying to say the problem is not that he hired Pincher, The problem is that he enjoyed himself by saying, ah, Pincher by name, pincher by nature. The problem is not that he went out into the balcony and had a glass of wine. The problem is that he did it with debonair sort of (laughs) sois-bois-faire. His problem is too much joie de vivre. And I worry about that because the same with the Japanese story. Dude, there is such a thing as too much saving, as too much repression, as too much conservatism. as too much like... Put yourself in a suit And I thought Boris Johnson was amazing to me as a world leader, to to symbolise the thought that you can be very worried about not spending more than you make. You can be and and not just worried. You can actually put things in place where you do cur- curtail, where, where you where you're not promising the moon, uh, and you're not tr- trying to deliver in that way. You can be you can be conservative in some ways and also. Untucked in others, and 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 I, I don't know. The radical centrist in me, uh, looks around the, the the landscape of global leaders and and struggles to find anyone that I can think of coming close to replacing that. I think in some ways Emmanuel Macron, uh, fits some of the fits some of the bill, um, especially with his wonderful, beautiful wife, uh, being so outside of uh, most people's ways of thinking about things. Really, really cool, but. You know, I just, just from a style guide kind of perspective, I think that guy gets points up the wazoo, and I'm sorry to see him go, man. I, I admit it. I really am sorry to see him dude, go. Dude,
0: dude, I'm with you on that. Like, I really enjoyed having him as a British Prime Minister. Um, can I read you what Daniel Hanan said about him? Sort of. Uh... Daniel Hannan said, "Yeah, yes, he had his flaws, but also let's recognise Boris Johnson's virtues. He was generous, brilliant, spirited, incapable of malice, infectiously optimistic, unable to hold grudges. He ended the constitutional chaos of 2018, defeated Corbyn, and delivered Brexit. Not a bad record.
1: Yeah, and I've got to say, I'm saying all of these nice things, even though I think that he's done a terrible thing in supporting the Ukrainians in the way that he has. Like, you know, I think he's made policy <laughs> mistakes too. But anyway."
0: No, he's, he's clearly
1: mentioned. he's clearly got i think he's got a warm heart and i think that i think that we as human beings have to at at least be mindful of that like i th- i maybe i'm just saying this because everybody i know that ever i'm i i can't remember the last time I've come to a party and, and not just heard people enjoy hating on this guy yeah look some of that is some of that is definitely and,
0: due to this there's a streak that goes through british commentary and the British public, of just sort of being a bit miserable all the time. Um, right. Right. <laughs> and, and, and I, was, I think that, yeah. that plays into your story of, of things being just a little bit too good for this guy. Like, this is... Yeah. Uh, there's a certain part of, I think... Tall, written, tall puppy syndrome. Yeah. Right. That's just very kind of miserable and wants everyone to be miserable and not really for any specific reason, but just because it's kind of a bit unseemly to be too happy. Um, yeah, I, the weather's I, I not know, good enough to justify. I know some Brits who are not very political, you know, who I sometimes play video games with, and they are exactly like that. It's always like complaining about whatever it is—the weather, Brexit is going to kill everyone. Uh, they talk about like you know the the price Dude, of everything. There's just it's 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 like a sport, right? It's a kind of it's like a sort of a, a ritual of whinge.
1: <laughs> every yeah, exactly. <laughs> Every British comedian has a variation on the line. You know, like, you could take away the accent. You could take away everything. Just on text, you can tell if someone's Australian or British by asking them, how are you doing today? Because the Australian can going to say, yeah, you know, you know that." Yeah,
0: that's very
1: true. I'm awesome. One says, I'm awesome. The other one says, not bad. Like, yes. The, those are the most common answers in those two parts of the atmosphere. And, <laughs> and, uh, and by the way, part of the reason that I feel pretty sympathetic with Russian culture, I think, is because I grew up with a kind of admiration for British culture. I grew up with an admiration for a culture unlike ours, um, which, is, which which sort of leans into depression.
0: Um, and mm. I think the
1: Brits and the Russians have a have a commonality there.
0: No, that's definitely um, true. That's definitely true. All anyways. right, um, we're, we're going a bit long here. I think we should briefly mention the press statement you put out today, and then close up. Uh, okay. I thought this press statement you did was really good. You just talked about the comments or the little heated exchange that our police minister Becky, clearly had with um, an activist, and uh, then the subsequent interview. Do you want to recount the story?
1: Yeah, so the damn diggity, I mean, everyone's listening to this is probably going to know, you know, the, the, the biggest viral video of this week has once again been about racism. Uh, Becky Clellet accused Ian Cameron of being a racist uh, in Google Letu because Ian Cameron said, basically, uh, you know, I... I You're, out <laughs> You're out of touch. You're um, out of touch. And Becky Clellet said... You know my mother was a domestic worker, so I know I can't yeah, you, be out you, of touch and you and just
0: you're think a i'm a what does he say you just think I'm a garden boy and so you can talk yes. down to me and you're you're filled with basically white arrogance. He didn't use that phrase, but that was the the gist and then shut
1: up, shut up, and then please the take him out okay so the down diggity is that this moment has been a long time coming, and I know uh because I was told so uh ian is a good guy in a lot of ways um he's not politically naive um and uh, uh even before this um part of the part of the line or the script or whatever it was to mention the shoes so uh he said to becky clearly you know i want i want i want you to walk through these sewers and get and get the surge on your shoes uh, the way everyone here has to when they, when they go out on patrols at night. And months and months ago when I heard this line, I thought it was very good because my experience of going around in rural and township South Africa is that the biggest difference people feel is between those who wear fancy shoes and non-fancy shoes. And it's actually a difference that's even more usually felt in rural South Africa than township South Africa. Um, and there's a lot of resentment like fancy shoes are quite welcome because it's fun for a jaw. But if you're wearing fancy shoes, you mustn't tell people what to do. If you wear fancy shoes, you must come and entertain people. And it's a very big difference between entertaining people and telling people what to do. And it's very welcome to do the one and very unwelcome to do the other one. And Becky Kele often does well because he comes to entertain with his fedora. And I've told the story before when I was in a green room with him at SABC and uh, <laughs> he, d- he he did the interview right before me. And I was sitting with his three, with his entourage, uh, two buff dudes in suits and a beautiful lady in a pin skirt. Not pinstripe skirt. What do you call those skirts? Anyway, pencil skirt. Anyway, dude, and then he comes back into the room after his interview and he, like, shakes the SABC, like, facilitator's hand and, like, kisses her on 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 the wrist. And he's so debonair. And he, like, flops his fedora back on his head and, like, pulls his fingers through the red feather and gives a flicking wink to his entourage. And they all stand up in unison and dust the dirt and lint off their shoulders in unison and then walk out. And it was surreal. It was a surreal cartoon. He's an entertainer. I mean, he's an amazing entertainer and very welcome to come and do so in his fancy shoes and with his fancy hat. But telling people what to do as he was in that day not welcome and uh and the fancy shoes are are, are key ingredients. We don't need anyway. any more entertainers in cabinet. We've got to kill Balula. <laughs> dude, my favorite was Tito Berweni because he Tito Berweni was actually a very serious guy and a good guy his but his idea of entertainment was to point at his rubbish shoes. He said, "Look at how rubbish my shoes are. I've kept these shoes for 20 years, guys dude, come on, you did save money you, use the same shoes you're not
0: you're not really on Twitter, so you didn't see his um his cooking adventures. Uh, he was routinely posting pictures of his various cooking experiments, and they always looked. There was always a lot of love put into them, but they were always just looked They're, a little bit sad.
1: They <laughs> didn't look great, but yeah, man. That's, yeah, he like, like like
0: like his fancy dinner when he was cooking. he was like like pilchards or something else. But it, you know, you can you can take like cheap ingredients like that, and then you know make yeah. them into something spectacular. But uh, <laughs> he didn't.
1: <laughs> he took them and he made them into something.
0: It was very yeah. It was very human uh, humanizing because you know, <laughs> he'd be like sitting on his on his farm in Limpopo, and then he would like yeah. send you a picture of his oven with like the sort of small can of pilchards sort of mushed <laughs> in the corner, and it, or the chicken that had half fallen apart as he was cooking it.
1: And the, <laughs> oh man, he's such a nit- dude. I really like it. Anyway, he's he, he I feel like he's the closest. He feels like our oh, Boris Johnson. Like if you just somebody, gave him. Yeah if if, if, you, if you gave him some like uh, some Iliad I think that he'd, oh, he'd be a, he'd make a fabulous president anyway um, so the, the 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 thing was actually quite serious and 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 Becky Kelly really shouted in a in a hateful racist way I've got to say I don't feel you know I I spent some time with Roland Collier for example who was involved in a big scandalous story that was you know, like a several weeks-long news cycle. Let's see how long this one lasts, uh, in terms of confronting Becky Glenn after his aunt and uncle were killed, Glenn and Vida Rafferty, uh, in outside Newcastle um, in the first spring of the plague in 2020 September. Um, and, you know, there was a... Oh, that's such a complicated story. I don't want to get back into the details, excepting to say that... Uh, uh, as rude as Becky Kelly was, and as terrible as it was that Ian was dragged out of the room you know i 've seen Becky Kelle say much worse things to people whose actual direct family members have been killed um, and and so I think what matters about this moment is not that it 's the most outrageous behavior we 've seen from Becky K. the most outrageous behavior we 've seen from him is to table the idea that we should take away all guns. Um, in South Africa, from people who want to hold them for self-defense, as I was saying to my NPR friend, like, did this is this is like an like who am I? I really don't like guns to defend people's rights to have guns, but I you flip and have to do it when when you live inside in the national the NRA in the US, it is such a it's such a bogeyman talking point. It's like it is the worst of the NRA. It's the worst of America's right wing. They say. You can't do anything because they're gonna take away all of our guns. That's all they want to do. They want to take away every last gun. Good golly! If they even take away one gun, even if they do background checks, it means they're gonna take away all the guns. It's like no, there's a whole universe between like a little bit of regulation and taking away all the guns. Excepting in South Africa, where you take a straw man <laughs> and turn it into <laughs> like a li- a moving zombie and you actually try to take away all the guts. Um, so that's, I would say, the most outrageous thing he's done, excepting for presiding over the deaths of 50 people in police custody under suspicious During circumstances the in the mm. first three weeks of the lockdown uh, mm. with the famous cases of Sibu Amos, Beatrice Michels, and, uh, uh, and Sibu Kosa. Uh, you know, Becky Kelly really has a flippin' outrageous scandal. Uh, this is not the worst that he's done, but... It has virally gone against him. And and what I draw attention to in the press release is just that um, the guy that he went after was asked afterwards on ENCA, dude, you know, I mean, like, why do you think you got under his skin? He's like, I don't know. And then they were like, but don't you think maybe it's because you're white? And don't you think if you're white, you should behave yourself in like a more there's a, there's a whole careful bit of a way? Salad.
0: Right. You know, don't you think you should, you should maybe yourself. yeah, edit yourself, check your privilege, that kind of thing?
1: And he says, no, I'm a citizen. I went there as a citizen. Last week, I was hanging out with the family of um, Siko Sizo Boy, I can't remember her name properly, but Boy was her surname, who was murdered and burnt and then thrown into a picky tub. Like, I was hanging out with a family still trying to pursue who we believe to be the killer who had beaten her up and had been arrested and then gotten out on bail. And then a couple of days after that,
0: oh, she was murdered.
1: Like, I don't care what your race is. People are being killed. Please, please. Yeah. There was no police there. There was no Bekekele there. There's no one helping in Google Let's. Please don't come with this rubbish. It's it's very, very serious. It's very important. It's a stunningly important moment in South Africa, in my opinion. That yeah, this I, guy I agree. Because has you know, support.
0: There, is no, there is no more fundamental uh, duty of the state and problem as when people are literally being murdered a huge, when people's lives are not protected, when people are being murdered at the high rates they are in some parts of the Western Cape. And it just throws into sharp sort of contrast how silly so many of the ways we talk about issues are compared to a guy who's actually trying to talk about the most basic thing, which is preventing people being shot and murdered and bludgeoned in their homes. And burnt. And burnt. Like that part of the country is and and particularly around that Kuguletu area, I think Kuguletu is what, in the top Five or something for highest murder of all the police precincts in the country, something I like think that. It's something like that, you know. This is not a time to be playing race games, <laughs> it's a luxury you we know, cannot afford.
1: It's so stupid, man. And it's so obvious, and it's so like, yeah, 55% of people we surveyed in 2020 agree with the statement. Politicians talk BS about racism to excuse their own failures. It's so like. It's so heartbreaking though because I mean I think that I think that Becky Teller is an entertainer and I think he's a you know, he's like clearly charismatic and energetic. That guy could have maybe been something more useful in his life, but he's just it's just so counterproductive.
0: Yeah, but now, now it, he's a police minister.
1: <laughs> it's so counterproductive. Dude, what about Operation MP? What about people who've been killed specifically in Google by guns sold by the police? two gangsters. That operation was terminated. Pietrus Michels and Jeremy Vary are still in the in the dwang, are still being moved around. One is still being suspended, by the way, for reasons that kind of maybe resonate a little bit with why I feel the way I do about Boris Johnson. You know, Jeremy Vary was decommissioned in the last instance because he says to his friend... Uh, sorry, I said Jeremy Very and Pietrus Michels. Jeremy Vary and other guy's name is escaping me right now. Anyway, he said to his colleague, Petrus Michels is the one who was killed in the lockdown. Jeremy Very said to his colleague um, who was being charged on what seemed to me like 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 trumped-up nonsense charges because they were both in charge of the Operation MP investigation, he said, go and moor them, which I'm sure is not going to be flagged by <laughs> any <laughs> algorithm on the internet, although apologies to any listeners for swearing like that. No. Um And he was decommissioned, dude. He was taken out of, a, of the most important police position in the entire Western Cape. He was the head of the Western Cape Police Force and he was taken out by the national uh, top brass for saying moor on Twitter. And you know what, Nick? A leader should not say "mur" on Twitter. I agree, okay? Because although most reasonable people are going to know he doesn't mean do physical violence, some theoretical dweeb is going to maybe think it is an encouragement to violence and he shouldn't really do it. But it's, dude, it's just bone obvious to me that that's not really the reason he was taken out. The reason he was taken out is because he maintains a threat against Becky a and events against those who came before him who were involved in at least are invested in and committed to an organisation that has covered up the sale of arms by the police to Cape Yanks. I just, I hate it. It actually is not a word that I use. I, I hate, I hate the way that South African police deal with particularly the Western Cape, particularly the Cape Flats. It's it's very inhuman. It's yeah. very, very yeah. inhuman.
0: No, and, and adding to all the silliness of this, one of the things that Ian Cameron attacked Becky Clare therefore was the fact that uh, he had not invited the Western Cape province or the city of Cape Town to the meeting. Which is just so petty and stupid and short-sighted it's, it's outrageous
1: dude it's the only way that you can sell if you live I mean if you live in a country where half a million people have been murdered in the last 25 years where you've got just about the highest murder rate of any peace theoretically peaceful place in the world where it's specifically in the eastern Cape the Western Cape kzn and Gauteng, you have murder rates and specifically in those like township areas that mm. are right up there with the worst of the worst in the history of like right. you know the south american gang wars and whatever Hondura, how do you Honduras go in, England,
0: yeah.
1: how do you sell yourself well you've got to go there and just do a dog and pony show with like mm. race baiting and uh and confusing rhetoric and and things like my mother was a domestic worker therefore i know what i'm talking about it's a it's a crying shame that we've stood by that so many south africans have, like, turned the other cheek to that kind of thing for so long. In the name, by the way, of poor black people. You know, like, the mm-hmm. foothills of Westcliff crowd are like, oh, don't be too critical, like, check your whiteness. Like, by the way, I... Sally Burdett, I think, did a stellar job in asking that question. Um, I think it's an important question to ask. Ian, weren't you worried about being a whitey? Weren't you worried about being misperceived? You have to ask that question, because it is the defining question of our mainstream media. It is the defining editorial lens through which things get filtered. And his answer was perfect. No, I am a citizen. We are in this together. We are citizens. Citizens make the law. Citizens make the decision ultimately about who runs the country. It is really up to us to figure it out. It's up to us to talk to each other about it. And my favorite thing about it is that he is a young guy. Even celebrated like your beautiful... Maybe it's wrong for me to say so, but I think she's a beautiful woman and uh, she's a senior journalist, you know? And I feel like there is a generation gap thing and I hope that there's a generation gap thing. Sometimes I feel like our generation is just different to those older than us. Um, And if I'm going to do a little like race analysis, like, dude, I think young white South Africans that have been fighting the fight, like, just don't have the same weird... Dude, our parents' generation—it makes sense to me that there are so many old white people that like think that they used to run the world because, in a way, they kind of did. Like, they didn't really, but like the impression was so sustained by the apartheid regime that it's that it it does create a difficult. Uh, 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 you know, sometimes you're looking through a lens. Sometimes that lens becomes like an eye transplant. I can see how it becomes difficult, like white guilt, white shame, white all of that stuff. Dude, but for younger South Africans of all races to say, "I'm not here to present white guilt. I'm not here to rehearse some kind of white shame, kind of self edited version of how to criticize someone through a -a jigamajangle in order to to talk about
0: stopping people getting murdered."
1: It's very clear what I'm here for. Actually, it's very simple. If you just if you just listen to the words coming out of my mouth, rather than looking at how my like skin reflects sunlight. It's going to be very understandable. There's an old-fashioned way of understanding what I'm on about. And it's not just by listening to what I'm saying. It's also by looking at what I've done. And, ah, man, I think uh, I'm going to segue to my recommendation. I don't always go first, but I recommend the Kiffness video uh, <laughs> uh, yes. of this incident. I think it's a nice, it's, it's difficult because it is dark. I mean, Becky um the intensity of his emotional response in that shut up is it's a hard thing to hear.
0: Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's rather cross.
1: But it's a one and a half minute video. It's like the it's like the when people zoll video. It's really good. Check it out if you haven't already seen it. We'll put it in the link.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah, my recommendation. Nothing too fancy. Uh, just the editor's s- story from the National Review, uh, titled "Goodbye Boris." Just a brief little summary of. Boris and his sort of charm and his weirdness, and uh, what brought him down. Uh, and also, I've recommended it before, but I'll recommend it again, and just any the stuff written by Jim Garrity, National Review correspondent, writes a newsletter every weekday, I think. Uh, and he's he's really good on just noticing things and talking about stuff. Uh, he, he wrote his newsletters today on Shinzo, uh, Shinzo Abe's assassination. <clears throat> And he has a nice little addendum at the end, actually, about sort of how slow Biden was to respond to this and then contrasting it with Donald Trump. And it's just it's just funny. Oh, anyway. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Biden took a very, very, very long time to respond, more than eight hours. Um, and Trump responded very early in the morning, talking about how this is the worst thing ever, really bad news of the world. There will never be another like him. You know, it's very nice from Trump. And then shortly afterwards, <laughs> my poll numbers are so high. <laughs> oh my God.
1: Do the egoist and the snooze, boss. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Uh,
0: anyway. And with that, um, yeah, all I can say is uh, keep the flag of uh, Liberty flying. Yeah. <laughs>